0: And now the scripture. We are going uh, to go to Mark chapter 5. Look at that, zooming right through Mark. Mark chapter 5. And let me pray for us, Lord, as we look at this passage, we see that uh, there is a, a dark side, a demonic world. And uh, in our modern world, we can easily forget about these spiritual forces. So, Lord, um, don't don't scare us. We pray that you would encourage us, but equip us uh, so we're aware of the spiritual warfare that we are in and remind us that Jesus is in authority over all. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So imagine um, you're just flipping around the TV stations and you see a movie is starting and it's... uh, Kind of a scary movie. You can, tell, you can tell by the music already that it's scary. And it begins with a boat coming up on a shore. And about a dozen guys pile out of the boat. And you can tell who the lead character is. And he walks up into a graveyard. It's kind of spooky. And a crazy wild man wearing no clothes comes running at him. He's howling like a wolf. He's breaking chains with supernatural strength. He's cutting his face and body with stones. He's bleeding. He's dirty. And he speaks in a terrifying voice. Now, if if that were on TV, I'd probably go, come on. I mean, there's, there's scary movies, but then there's just over the top. This would never happen. Click. Okay, we'll move on to something else. Well, in today's Scripture, this is a historical event that actually happened to Jesus. Mark chapter 5. Now, sometimes I read the whole, all 20 verses and then go back to them. Today, I'm going to do the reading as we go. I'm going to break the reading into uh, four sections. Okay, we're going to look at the possessed man We're going to look at the legion of demons, then the people's response, and then the delivered man, okay? So let's, not the delivery man, but the delivered man, okay? So the possessed man. So they came to the other side of the sea. Now remember, the last thing we read last week was Jesus and the apostles are in the boat and a storm comes up and they think they're going to die. And Jesus calms the storm. So they're already freaked out. Who is this with us in the boat? Well, this is the very next thing that happens. Okay? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizines. So they're in Gentile territory. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him. Out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit... He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. So supernatural, unexplainable strength. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountainsides, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Self-harm. Okay. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, there's uh, some question as to exactly where this garrisons is. Some uh, other manuscripts say Gergazines, others say Gadarenes, um, but it's not that hard to figure out. Clearly it's in Gentile territory because there's pigs involved in this story. Pigs are, are yet to show up, but Jews did not herd pigs. They didn't eat pigs, so this is Gentile territory, so it had to be on the eastern side of the lake. And... Uh, there had to be a, a, a steep hill and there's only a couple of places and they narrow it down and they figure they found the spot. And I, I've actually been there. It's nothing spectacular. Uh, the bus pulls into a just a cheap little off-side off uh, place for buses to park and you get out and there's just a, a hill. And... Um, I do remember the, the, uh, the tour guide, you know, we had our kids with us and they were climbing through a fence and wanted to go walk where the pigs walked. And uh, the, uh, the tour guide says, don't go down there. And we're like, ooh, spirit of pigs? What, what's going on? And he goes, no, there may be landmines from some of the wars that have happened around here, so be careful you might step on a landmine. Now, that's scary. Um, But we we think we know where this happened. Now, here is a man, and we're going to find out he's possessed, not just by one spirit, but by thousands of demons. Okay, Now, before we go, wow, this is kind of freaky, but he has nothing to do with me, let me remind us, What scripture says about every non believer. Okay. Did I read that? Yeah, I read that. Okay. About every non believer. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, stop right there talking to Christians, and he's saying, before you became a Christian, you were dead. You were spiritually dead in your sins, okay? Now, um, some people go, oh, all right, so non-Christians are dead, they have no, how, how can God hold them accountable uh, if they're spiritually dead? Well, the next, the next part says, in which you once walked, It's the first case of the walking dead, right? And what what this tells you, there's kind of a paradox going on here. The non-believer is dead. They they have no interest truly in the things of God. Yet, they don't get to blame God. They are willingly walking in this state. So you've got um, spiritual death. And personal accountability for... You, you could say they're dead and they love it. Okay? Um, so this is describing every non-believer, not just a guy in, in the cemetery. Every non-believer in which you walked and followed the course of this world. following uh, So the course of the world... Uh, The word world in Scripture is not just grass and trees. It's talking about worldviews and world systems that are not in submission to Christ. And, And there are all these systems and philosophies. Some of them you formally know. Others are just kind of the background noise from living in the world. Whether you were living thousands of years ago or today, dominated by the internet and TV, there are ungodly worldviews we're living according to, okay? Then it says, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. We're following Satan, okay? Spirit that is now, now look at this, at work in. At work in the sons of disobedience. Now, I don't think this necessarily means every non-believer is possessed by Satan. Okay? Because there can, be, there can be internal possessing of a person, but there's also external influence upon the person, and that can be said to be working in the person too. Okay? Okay? But, but this is saying, the non-believer, here's how he's characterized. He's spiritually dead. He's just going along with the values of the world. And Satan has some kind of control in them. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the patterns of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of of mankind. This is not a, a, a pretty picture, okay? Now, um, now, what I'm trying to do here is show you that when we read about this crazy demoniac, don't just go, oh, well, that's an extreme case. No, that demoniac, his life is just different as a matter of degree, compared to the way I used to be and you used to be. But it's just a matter of degree. So let me put up two realms. This is the realm of the unsaved. This is the realm of the saved. Okay? Either you're here or you're here. I once had a guy leave the church because I said, either you're a Christian or you're not. And he said, that's too black and white for me. <laughs> okay? Okay. <laughs> um, If this is you, this describes you, Romans 8 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Everybody in this realm has not truly bowed the knee to Jesus. Now, some of them may be on the far side, crazed demoniacs living in cemeteries. Others may hold nice jobs, drive nice cars look really good, get good grades, pay their taxes, lead wonderful organizations. But this verse describes everybody in this category. And when you get saved, boom, you're transferred. Your heart is changed. And there may be some super holy person who's got their act together and they're just like Jesus or there may be the person who just got saved out of the cemetery but his heart is changed now and they're their, uh, their only difference is a matter of degree also. Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of belaboring the point that if you're not here, you're here. And if you're here, you can sink as low as this guy. You know, um, I saw a movie the other day. It was a, a remake of an old black and white movie, which was from a novel and I'm not going to name it because I don't really think you should watch it, but I saw it, all right? True <laughs> confession, all right? Um, so the, the movie begins with a guy named Stan back in the 1930s, depression time, okay? He's a drifter, and he's looking for work, and he happens upon a carnival. And when he first arrives, you know, he sees all the different acts, and there's, uh, there's an act, a, a freak show, that he's appalled at because there's a wild man living in a cage and people pay for a ticket and they go in and the wild man's let out of the cage and he you know, runs around and they throw a live chicken out to him and he bites its head off and that's going to be his lunch. Yeah, that's pretty creepy, right? And um, Stan asked the carnival owner, what's with this guy? He says, oh, we just get a bum off the street, get them addicted to alcohol and drugs, and they're more than happy to live in the cage and eat the chicken. And they go through a whole string of people. They have to get new wild men every year. Well, that's kind of the beginning of the story. Stan learns a mind-reading act from some of the other people in the carnival. Can not kind of see why I would watch this thing? Um, <laughs> I love chicken. <laughs> and, no. Um, so there's a mind reading act and he steals the mind reading act. He leaves the circus and he makes it to the top uh, of the entertainment world with his magic act. Okay. Then he uses some of his trickery to convince people that he can speak with the dead and he cons people and he makes millions of dollars. He's at the top of his field. He's got it all but he, he gets hooked up with some other bad people, and it all comes crashing down. And he's back to being a nobody, a hobo. He can't find work. He goes back to the carnival and says, would you please hire me? And the carnival owner says, no, I don't have any job for you. And then he goes, wait, wait. I do need a new wild man. And Stan becomes the wild man. Right, goes from the top to the bottom. Now, I don't know if the the writer of that novel, that book, uh, was a Christian or not. But I think they're making the point that if you're in this realm, whether you're over here or over here, we're all facing the same direction. So, how did this guy in the graveyard get where he is? Well, at some point, he opened his life up to sin and depravity, and he opened himself up to Satan, and now he's got a legion of demons. Now, let's go back to the Ephesian passage where you're dead in your sins and you're under the wrath of God. Now, here's the good news. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Salvation is not just intellectually saying, oh, Let's see, the creed says Jesus is fully God, fully man. He died on the cross, he rose from the dead for our sins. I guess I believe it. No, salvation is a miracle of resurrection from the dead. You once were lost, you once were blind, now you're found, now you see. You've been resurrected from the dead, okay? Now, I've warned us in past sermons about um, the point of no return when a person rejects the Lord so many times that the heart becomes so hard that there's a point of no return. But I've also warned us, be careful not to judge when that point is in other people's lives or even in your own life. You know, Satan might be try to convince some of you, well, I've already, I've already blown it. I've said no to Christ so many times that there is no hope for me. No. We're going to see that this guy gets saved and changed. So as we look at this guy, the first thing I want us to see is how far into darkness any human can fall Second thing I want us to see is how Jesus can redeem even the lowest person. All right? So that's that's the first thing. So now let's move on and meet the demon. The demons. And crying out with a loud voice, so this is the man bowing at the feet of Jesus what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Interesting. The apostles are still trying to figure out who is this guy who calms the storm and heals everybody. The demons know who he is. right? What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. He's now, all of a sudden, the demon's getting religious, right? He's doing God talk. You know, um, there are two people, two kinds of people who, who, use, who use God talk, Christians who know God and non-Christians who use his name in vain, but there's also the demonic world. They believe in God, and they will use religious lingo and religious symbols, but their hearts are not submitted to God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. What does that tell you? They know Jesus is the one who will ultimately send them to hell. Okay, For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. Uh, Apparently demons would prefer to be in a host, a human or an animal, than to be without a body. Okay, Verse 13, so he gave them permission, notice who's in charge here? So he, Jesus, gave them, the demons, permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, there are some modern Christian scholars and leaders who think they're smarter than God, who've concluded that the only reason the Bible talks about demons is because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. They didn't know what mental illness was. So this was their best effort uh, to explain bizarre behavior. They call it demons, but we all know it's just mental illness. Well, the problem with that, is it, it it doesn't give any credence to the idea that the Bible has two authors. The human author, in this case Mark, and the divine author, the Holy Spirit. Right? As we read this, we have to assume that yes, Mark is writing it, and it's different than Matthew's gospel, and it's different than John's gospel, so a human being is writing it. But God so oversees the process that the Holy Spirit has them write exactly what he wants them to write and this is not dictation this is not the Holy Spirit saying hey mark take a take a letter how, how it works i i don't have a, an exact idea but this is god inspired scripture so let me just point out a few things that and i'll ask you do you think the holy spirit behind the writing, is saying, oh, no, this is, this is mental illness, or does he really believe this man is possessed by spirits? Let me, uh, let me show you the pronouns in a few verses. And Jesus asked him, singular, what is your singular name? He, singular, replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Wait, what happened to the the he? Now it's a we. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out. And here, here it just comes right out. The unclean spirits. Okay, Whoever's writing this believes that they, these are, this is not just schizophrenia. These are unclean spirits. They came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So there's the change of pronouns. There's the use of the term spirits. Um, there's also the use of the term legion. What's your name? Legion for we are many. That was an official designation for 6,000 Roman soldiers. This guy may have been possessed by thousands of demons. And if we assume one demon per pig, we've got 2,000 pigs being inhabited by demons. Okay? Now, you want to know what the, the modern day question is that a lot of people ask and commentators have to, have to address? How could Jesus be so cruel to those pigs? <laughs> well, first of all, in, in fact, R.C. Sproul, I listened to a sermon by him. Sproul says this, This incident has struck some biblical commentators as a wanton waste. Some even charge Jesus with a lack of compassion for the pigs, and others go so far as to charge him with sin for allowing the destruction of the pigs at the huge cost to the owners. Okay? Um, Well, first of all, why would Jesus send the demons into the pigs? One, to show demons are real. Two, to show his authority. And three, because saving the life of one man is more valuable than 2,000 pigs. Okay? But I I think he's demonstrating the reality. There's no explanation why for years and years these pigs have grazed on this hillside. And one day they all decide to take a, a fly into the Sea of Galilee. Uh, do my joke here. Uh, first case of swine flu. Uh-huh. You know, only in an age where we have abandoned the the basic belief that God uniquely created man in his image. When we've abandoned that, And we go, but one day there was an explosion and accidentally molecules banged together. And some of them turned into pigs and some of them turned into fish and some of them turned into humans. Only when we take God out of the picture and we lose the the fact that man is made in the image of God and we are unique, do we get upset with a passage like this I've shared before with you. For Josh and Sidney's wedding out in San Diego, I was running along the San Diego Pier, and uh, the boats were coming in, the fishermen were coming in, and there was a group of young people with big signs saying, Fish is murder. Like, if you eat fish, you are murdering. And I stopped and had a little friendly chat for about two hours with the guy. <laughs> and he just didn't get me. And I didn't get him. And it boiled down to the idea that, of course, if there's no God. And, of course, if evolution is an accidental thing. We got the luck of the draw that we walk and breathe air. Fish, they breathe water. But they're just as valuable as humans Uh and if you eat one, you've committed murder. Right? So, but bottom li- uh, line here. Jesus is making the point that he is Lord over all this demonic realm. And he's saving the life of one man. Now we're going to see that that one man becomes an evangelist. Which leads to the salvation of possibly thousands of others. Okay? But that a little insight into the, the demon legion. couple thousand demons under authority. They're all lined up under authority. The main guy's name is Legion. He does the talking. Jesus casts him out. Now, what's the response of the people? The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. 2,000 pigs ran off a cliff. Look at them. They're all floating, bobbing around there in the Sea of Galilee. Big talk, right? If this happened at the Fox River, you'd go, wouldn't you? And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion. And I love this. This is like one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. When he was naked and screaming in the in the graveyard, "Ah, that's just that's just our screamer, right? But now he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind. This is terrifying. Okay. Now, some say, well, and and what what happened here? And and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they Began to beg. Stop right there. Don't read any more. What, what do you think they should say? I would think it would say they began to beg Jesus, please stay with us. Please clear our region of more demons. Please teach us about the true God. No, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Please leave. Now, some commentators say their begging was motivated purely by economics. Okay? Leave us so we don't lose any more pigs. But I find it interesting that that Mark doesn't limit the crowd talking to Jesus as just pig farmers. Okay? It would make sense if if it said the, the pig farmers went away and got their fellow pig farmers and all the pig farmers formed a union and they protested against Jesus, all right? That's not what it says. It's the the whole town, the whole area who wants Jesus to leave, okay? I think there's a deeper theological truth going on here. When sinful man comes in contact with undeniable holiness, he wants to hide or at least get rid of the holy. Remember, Adam and Eve walk with God in the garden, and then they sin. And what do they do? They hide from God. Peter, one day, Jesus is in Peter's boat, and, and Jesus is teaching the crowd on the shore. And then they're done, and Jesus says, Hey, Peter, throw your net over there. And, and Peter, Peter, in essence, goes, Come on, Lord. I've been fishing all night. I kind of know what I'm doing. (laughs) Who who do you think you are? God? And uh, it says, Peter says, all right, Lord, because you say so. And he throws the net, and the catch is so big that the boat begins to sink. Now, what is Peter's reaction? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. He's in the presence of the holiness of God. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus reveals his holiness through fish, in one case, and through pigs, in another case. He's holy, but he uses creation to convey his holiness. But they want him to leave. To put it crassly, they they, they basically are saying, well, if we have the choice between a crazy, naked, chain-breaking, howling man possessed with 2,000 demons and Jesus, we'll take the naked guy. Right? While, While evilness scares us, Jesus terrifies us. This guy in the graveyard is a crazy guy, but he's our crazy guy. And we've just kind of learned how to deal with it. We don't know what to do with Jesus. Now, finally, the delivered man. And as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I want to be one of your disciples. I want to follow you. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, those are ten Gentile cities on the other side of the Jordan, he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Why wouldn't Jesus let this new delivered man come with him? You know, some people go into full-time ministry because they think that's the only way to truly serve Jesus and be used by God. And, and, you know, I, I hope God calls people into full-time ministry, right? But do you know what he calls most people to do? Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. You know, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and they were very discontent people. And they, they, they wanted to change to become more holy. So um, married people were saying, I'm going to get divorced, and that'll make me more holy. And um, single people were saying, I better get married. That's the more holy state. And slaves thought it was more spiritual to be free, and free people thought it was more spiritual to be slaves. And get this, some thought getting circumcised would make them more holy, and others thought getting uncircumcised, I don't know how that works, don't think about it too much, made them more holy. And Paul writes to them and he says, here's, here's the rule. Okay. <laughs> the rule is, I ran out of PowerPoint. The rule is this, 1 Corinthians 7.20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. The, the, the primary thing is this, stop being so discontent and spend your time telling your circle of friends and co-workers and neighbors and family how much the Lord has done for you. Right? Boy, I wonder how much how how many ministry opportunities have we lost because we spend so much time being discontent with our job with our lot in life, with Illinois, with, you know. Um. Now, in Mark 8, you know, Jesus has already fed the 5,000. In Mark 8, we read about a second miraculous feeding of 4,000 people. And it's in Gentile region. How would 4,000 Gentiles... No, to get together to listen to Jesus. I think a big part of it is this one man stayed, he obeyed, and he told people how much Jesus had done for him. So, can I close with an assignment? Can you spend some time Articulating, right? Put, putting putting into words a statement about how much God has done for you. Right? If 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 somebody asked, so you're a Christian, you go to church. What, why? What has God done for you? Boom. Now, some of you are saying, "Yeah, but I don't have a spectacular story like this guy." Good. <laughs> Now, some people do have spectacular stories. When I was in Ireland once, um, there was this big burly guy. He was a, 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 like a janitor working in a hotel. And here, here's how savvy I am cross culturally. I go, hey, you're a big burly guy. <laughs> See, I'm breaking down international laws, <laughs> walls all the time. And he goes, yes. You want to see what the Lord has done for me? And he pulls out his phone, and he's got a picture of what he used to be. He was this scrawny, uh, homeless guy who was addicted to drugs. And I go, what happened? He goes, the Lord saved my soul. Hey, that's, that's a pretty good story, right? Uh, you know, my son Josh was hit by a truck and lived. You ought to see the truck. No, he, <laughs> I mean, he's got a story. But most people don't have a spectacular story. But, really? How about this? The Lord delivered me from self-righteousness. I used to think I could earn my way to heaven. But God in his mercy opened my eyes and showed me there's no way I could do that. But then he gave me his righteousness. That's a pretty good one. Or I used to worry about going to hell. But God opened my eyes and He showed me the gospel that Jesus paid it all. And now I have a lot of other anxieties, but I don't worry about going to hell anymore. Right? Or, you know, so, some of you have been delivered from idolatry, whether it was addiction to money, like Zacchaeus. He meets Jesus and he goes, ah, i give half my money away and pay back four times if I've cheated anybody. This thing used to control him. Now, ah, easy come, easy go. Okay. In other words, maybe your transformation wasn't dramatic and spectacular like this guy's. But how has God transformed you? How has he been good to you? Assignment... Put it in words so you can tell people in your region how good God has been to you. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you. uh, In Scripture, we read about ordinary events, and then we read these spectacular events with this demon man. And uh, Lord, there's many lessons that we learn today, but ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would enable us to praise you, for how you've transformed each one of us and then give us the boldness to tell people about it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.